You're listening to. And Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. I'm Marvin Yeh. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are your hosts uh, for this podcast. And um, today we're going to be talking to author Kathleen Birkenshaw, uh, the author of The Last Cherry Blossom, a middle grade novel um, covering the life of a young girl before leading up to and after the bombing of Hiroshima. Um, Kathleen was nice enough to send us a copy of the book that Rira has read. Um, why don't you tell us more about the book, Rira? Yuriko was happy growing up in Hiroshima when it was just her and Papa. But her aunt Kimiko and her cousin Genji are living with them now, and the family is only getting bigger with the talk of a double with the talk of a double marriage. And while things are changing at home, the world beyond their doors is even more unpredictable. World War, world War II is coming to an end, and Japan's fate is not entirely clear with any battle losses being hidden from the from its people. Yuriko is used to the sirens and the air raid drills, but things start getting but things start to feel more real when the neighbors who have left to fight stop coming home. When the bomb hits Hiroshima, when the bomb hits Hiroshima, it's through Yuriko's 12-year-old eyes that we witness the devastation and horror. Um yeah, and on that note, let's um here is our interview with Kathleen Birkenshaw. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome. We have a very special guest today for uh, our author interview episode. She's the author of The Last Cherry Blossom, a middle grade novel published by Sky Pony Press that follows the daily life of Yuriko, a 12-year-old girl growing up in Hiroshima as World War II approaches its end. Please welcome Kathleen Birkenshaw. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for uh, taking the time to speak with us. Um, can I can I just ask where you're calling from? Oh, sure. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ooh. Okay, so it's East Coast, right? Is North Korea and Carolina East, Coast, East Coast or yes. South? It's right, or... On, the, it's right yeah. on the ocean. I'm kind of in. Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of North Carolina in the Piedmont area. So we didn't get as much rain and wind as the other people had gotten. So we were lucky. Um, in that respect. Um, so for our listeners, do you think you can uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, I started with the book, writing it about seven years ago. And um, my background isn't really being a writer. Prior to that, I was doing healthcare contracts with hospitals and um, HMOs. But I had been ill for a while, and when I had gotten sick, I started writing. And when my daughter was in seventh grade, she had come home, and she had mentioned that they were talking about World War II in the ending of it in their history class. And she had overheard some kids talking about that cool mushroom cloud picture. Uh, she was very upset about that, and she asked if I would go and speak to her class about the people under that famous mushroom cloud, people like her grandmother. And so it really started off with me doing presentations at schools that kind of led to teachers asking if there was a book that could kind of um, 
complement their curriculum when they studied World War II. And that led me into finding out more about what went on in my mom's life at that time when she was 12. Yeah, your novel is loosely based on your mother's firsthand experience uh, surviving the bombing of Hiroshima. Um, so like, how much of your novel would you say is, uh, is I guess, like, faithful to your mother's story or like (laughs) because you know like like sometimes when we adapt um adapt nonfiction into fiction uh you know stories take their own paths and sure yeah um I would say it's about 75 percent based on what she went through obviously the conversations and the timeline of some of the events didn't all happen within one year like some of her family issues that went on Um, but a lot of it, especially the day of and afterwards is what happened to her and what she had to deal with, um, from her own accounts of that day itself. Um, so your book is obviously set during a very dark period in history, and it's not exactly the easiest subject to write about for, uh, younger readers, Um, what would you say was some of the challenges that uh, you had writing this book? Uh, Well, I think if I think about it from the reader's point of view, I I wanted to be very truthful and honest, but I didn't want to be gratuitous in what had happened. But I also felt that I couldn't um, make it less than it was. It had to show the seriousness of it. And I think that's something that my editor and I, we kind of went back and forth trying to figure out what is the best way Uh, to portray it. And it was also difficult because a lot of the stuff that happened to my mom that day, it was very painful for her. And so when I was trying to write it, imagining myself as a 12-year-old and how I would have reacted to some of what she went through, I have to say that that was really the hardest to write because it was very emotionally emotional and personal. I'm thinking back to when I was in middle school and high school and what we learned about even the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki um, was very like it was at most like a page in the history book Um, if we want to dig deeper we know we we did projects on it Um, but a lot of the things that we read was all from the American side really you know Um, and from the Japanese side it's always just numbers like how many people died images of gruesomeness and your book really it offers that other side of history that we don't really get to see and um i'm curious um because since the book's been out for a little bit how has the reception been to yeah, um, the cons- story considering that you uh do presentations in classrooms and i'm guessing that a lot of these students have haven't really heard a lot of primary sources about uh the bombing correct correct and you know, it's it's been very heartwarming because the students have reached out to me from various schools across the United States, and um, they've told me what this story means to them because it's true. My daughter was in seventh grade. They had about two paragraphs that talked about um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki and how it ended the war, and they had the, the mushroom picture, and that was that. And I, when I wanted to do this book, I really wanted to do it from before the bomb was dropped. I didn't want to start with the bomb dropping because I wanted to be able to give them the culture and the mindset of that time of the people, what they were hearing from the press, what they were feeling. Um, There were things that I hadn't really recognized before that Japan had been fighting since 1931 because they, they invaded Manchuria. So when my mom was born in 1932, all she ever knew was war being in the background. 
of, of her childhood. And I think it was important so that children, readers of whatever age they are, could see that the children in Japan, like my mom, you know, they, they loved their family, they loved their friends, they worried about what might happen to them in the war, and they wished for peace. And it was very, very similar to what the Allied children were feeling. And, and I wanted to give that emotional impact so that when they did walk away, um, they would know that nuclear weapons shouldn't be used again. But they would also maybe think of, well, you know, people who we might think are our enemies, they're not always so different from ourselves. And, and I think that that's so important today, more so than it has been in the past. And I, I really feel that when I've spoken to some students, there was actually, I did a Skype with Australia, which really was blew my mind that somebody in Australia was reading my book. But, um, you know, when they said that they didn't know very much at all, like you had mentioned, and it made them see the other side. And I, and I do it so that it's not political. That's got my, my role in that. I just want to do it so that they know this is what can happen. And it's not good. And it's not something you want to do again. And I'm hoping that that's what my book can bring to the classroom for that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I found it so interesting how uh, the book, while it takes place during the war, it, it mainly focused on the day to day life of Yuriko and her family and the changes that her neighbors and her friends are going through because the war is affecting them whether they want it to or not. And I've noticed at the beginning of each chapter, you like we would see a quote from Japanese propagandas or like radio programs. I, I just, I'm just curious, what was your reasoning behind that creative decision? Well, the first part of it was I needed to show a passage of time without having to say today is Monday, 1945. And um, so I tried to figure out, I thought, well, her papa owned the newspaper company, so I'll use um, newspaper titles and and it sounded like a great idea when I came up with it. I was very excited, but it was really hard to find. And it took me a while <laughs> to try to find headlines. And that's when I threw in some propaganda posters that I found and uh, being able to put that in there so that there'd be a passage of time. But also it would set the tone for the because I tried to match it with the chapter of what was happening. And and some of the propaganda, uh, you know, like one of them states about they tried a new tactic in Angar. And basically what that meant is that they retreated. But there were so many different ways of trying to put news out there. And I was hoping that the readers would kind of get a sense for, okay, this is what they're hearing. This is what they're learning about. Um, so that was my reasoning behind that. Yeah, I definitely thought it set the tone, especially since Yuriko's uh, papa, he's the head of a Japanese newspaper in their town. And, you know, he's definitely struggling with the government censor government yeah. censorship. Um, just um, moving on, I just want to ask you, what kind of research did you uh, do for your novel, aside from talking to your mother about uh, the war and the bombing? Um, I also did a lot of research about what life was like um, on a daily basis, as much as I could for Japan, which is really hard to do to find it written in English. I I'm um, sure. I, <laughs> I do not read Japanese. And um, so I had to do a lot of looking. And on eBay, there were some books and there were some books that were taken out of circulation at libraries that I was able to found, find. And some of them were diaries uh, of people, not necessarily all of them living in Hiroshima, but in other parts. So I could get a better feel for that. Uh, the other piece of it, um, my mom had passed away in 2015. 
And we went to Hiroshima to be able to honor her at the uh, memorial wall for the victims. And by being there, I learned a lot from the museum. I learned a lot by talking with the people who ran the museum there. And, and I found out exactly where her house was. And she had always made it sound like she was a, a couple hours or maybe at least an hour away. And she was only two miles from the epicenter. Oh, wow. And That's very close. Yeah. That was so shocking to me and to think that it was miraculous that she survived the way she did, because I was very lucky I had her until she was 82. And I, and I think, too, when I went there, I always had in the back of my mind of the, the smoke and the destruction of that day. But then I could see the beauty of it. There were mountains and there was the, the sea and there were palm trees. I didn't picture Hiroshima with palm trees. And, you know, the funny thing is, is my mom always said she grew up in a beautiful place, but it was very hard for me to picture that. And it really helped me when I had to do the final edits and to add in some of the description of what it must have been like before the bomb was dropped. And um, that was very helpful in itself as well. Yeah, I, I definitely think that your book gave us a glimpse of Hiroshima that um, a lot of young readers probably never heard about because, you know, in in history textbooks, we we see the mushroom cloud, we see uh, the the cost of human lives. Um, right. You said that you don't speak or read Japanese is is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, yes. So I there's a lot of Japanese words in your book. <laughs> there's even a glossary at the back. So I, I'm just wondering, um, was that challenging to I, I guess, translate to the younger American audience. Yes, yes it was. And because um, I didn't, I wanted to use some Japanese words because I didn't want it to be totally, uh, I don't know how to say it, not Americanized, but I wanted them to get kind of a feel for the culture. So I chose certain words that I thought might be easy enough to describe in a glossary at the end. And so that they might have to refer back to. Um, when my mom came to the States in 1959, uh, there was still a lot of prejudice against the Japanese and she didn't want to draw a lot of attention to herself. So she never talked about being from Hiroshima. Uh, she always told people she was from Tokyo. And when she had me, she just made the household, um, Americanized. And so she didn't teach me Japanese, so I didn't know how to read it or to speak it. Thankfully, my daughter is minoring in Japanese, so she will be the one who will be able to do the speaking and the reading and, and helping me with that as I go forward. Uh, were there any Japanese words that you thought was, uh, I guess, like interesting or fun in your research? I'm trying to think now. That was a while ago. Let me see. I know, I know the Japanese language has a lot of words for things that uh, American American English does not have. So, um just wondering if you that found is, anything interesting. <laughs> I think if there was. I mean, I, I think at the time there was. And I think what was kind of funny is my mother would say a lot of Americanized words, but just with a Japanese accent. And some of those words is, act, is actually how things were said, which I thought was very odd <laughs> that the, she added maybe the, the ooh sound to it. But it really wasn't that different from the American um, I think that some of the words that I, the majority of the words I did kind of hear up. I didn't know the exact um, definition, I guess I would say for that. Um, but I can't really think. I'm sorry. I really. Oh, no, no, don't worry about it. Really uh, 
I, I, I thought it was so interesting because when I was reading, uh, when I was reading your book, I was like, oh, this is written in English, but this, like, I don't know, I don't know why, but the sentence felt really Japanese. I guess it was because there were no contractions in some of the, um, when, whenever Yuriko was talking to like an adult, I, I was like, oh, there's no contractions. That's kind of like very formal. But English doesn't have formal language, so, so no, I thought that was no. like and, and really I, well done. I knew it, was, it was somewhat sound stilted, and I was trying to avoid it to always be stilted. But I had I wanted to kind of show the difference, like between, like you said, it's exactly when Yuriko was speaking to an adult or an adult was speaking to her, there would be no contractions. But if she was speaking to a friend or her being the narrator, I would use them to so that it wouldn't be as bumbling to read through or um, stopping you, taking you out of the story kind of thing. Um, I did want to ask about the title of your book, The Last Cherry Blossom. Uh, was there any specific reasoning behind calling your book that? Yes. Um, the Cherry Blossom Festival was my mother's favorite time of the year. And it was actually the last time that our entire family was together to celebrate. Uh, before the bomb was dropped. And she loved them so much. And there's a piece in the book where she's after the bomb has dropped, and she's wondering, you know, if she'll ever smell the fragrance again of the cherry blossom. And I've had people ask me, is that really something she would have thought of? And it was and and she said, she doesn't know why, but that just occurred to her that everything was so turned around, she just didn't think any normalcy will come. And they said that the cherry blossoms or anything wouldn't really bloom again. But the cherry blossoms bloom that following spring. And I really feel that there was a lot there as as the strength, as well as the Japanese people of pushing forward afterwards, uh, even being dealing with such an emotional heartache, that they were still able to try to move forward and, and try to get some kind of normalcy uh, back to their life as soon as they could. So to me, the, the last cherry blossom was more that was uh, one of her last great memories that she had being there. Well, I think it's a very beautiful and poignant title. Um, this was your debut novel. Yeah, right? this is your debut novel, right? Yes, yeah. yes, it is. Was writing something that you've always been doing? Or is this something that you picked up recently? I have, I think since I was little, I've always written, I used to do a lot of uh, silly little poems for birthdays. And you know how you, you make like a paper card. And so at the back, I even made my own UPC code on the back of it. And my maiden name was Hilliker. So I put that instead of Hallmark, you know, on the back <laughs> of the card. And, um, but I, I loved doing, and, and this was odd. I loved doing book reports. I loved doing the blue book, uh, exams and, and doing a lot of essay writing. And then I ended up doing a lot of business and contract writing. So it was nice when I could finally get back to something <laughs> that I used to love to do. That was, uh, um, difficult, but not as boring as some of the other writing that I used to have to do for Yeah, how was, how was it writing your first novel? Because I imagine, was this the most you've ever written uh, in this way, like creatively? Yes, yes. And, and it was kind of interesting because at first, I thought it was a lot of words, and it really wasn't that many. And when I met my agent, uh, she had me go back and forth quite a bit. And we really made it much longer uh, page wise. And then of course, then when I sent it to the publisher, we had to bring it down some more. But it was just really interesting. I didn't expect that it would be so hard to try to um, make a story. And <laughs> I knew it would be difficult, but I, I, I didn't realize how you have to think of how every word's going to work and how you want to develop the character and to try to get that on the page without being too wordy, but 
you don't want to be too succinct so that it doesn't have an emotional impact on the reader. So it was difficult for me to do that. And and it was really a, a good six-year process of from beginning into um, it being published for me. And I did not expect it would take that long. I, I don't think any of us really think it's going to take as long as it takes for the process. Um, but there's a, there was a lot involved. It took a while till I could find the agent and, uh, and then she worked with me. And then when we sent it out for submissions to various publishers, it took about a year from the date that she started sending them out, um, before we got the contract. And I'm very glad that we did because my, my mom got to see the contract. She knew it would be published and, um, because she passed away a few months after that happened. So mm. she wasn't able to be here when the, when the book came out, but she had read um, a draft, one of the many drafts that I had made. And she was very um, surprised, actually, that anyone would want to read anything <laughs> based on her story. And she was also very proud and, and grateful that I would do this for her and, and for her family in that way. And I'm grateful that she entrusted me with such a story that is so emotional. I can still hear her crying when she would explain those scenes to me, especially with her papa. And uh, every time she told it, it didn't matter how old she was, she would still cry as if it was just happening. Um, and, and that will always stick with me that she was brave enough to make it through what she did and came to another country uh, and to love again after losing so much. Um, that is just definitely something that I, I admire and I'm very, very grateful for. And, and I think it shows my daughter and I, I'm hoping to others that, that love can conquer fear. I, I guess like my final question is like, were, um, are there any um, like historical fiction novels that you would like to recommend to our listeners or any books that you grew up reading that uh, really influenced you and your writing? Um. Well, I didn't, I didn't discover Cynthia Katahata until, let's see, I read Weed Flower when it came out. And that was oh, Weed Flower, yeah. And um, when I started reading, that was really the first time that I saw a character that was Asian that I was able to read when I was younger. I don't want to say my age, but there really wasn't <laughs> any um, character that would even be close to to reading about of myself. So when I found that and I saw how she wove a story in with historical facts, and that's just really what sparked me. And so uh, I read a lot of hers. I also read um, Naomi Hirahara. I mean, I know she does a lot of um, it's mysteries, but it's also, I, I guess it's more of an adult book um, than a middle grade or a YA. But I enjoy reading that because she also brings in the Japanese uh, uh, culture. And the, the main character is also from Hiroshima. And, and we're, so I just found it very interesting. Um, I'm, right now, I have a few on my, my nightstand. Uh, one of them is Laurie Halsey Anderson. I'm reading her, her book, Chains. Uh, and I'm doing a lot of research for my second book right now. So I don't really read a lot that's not research. And so at the end of the day, I usually put in an audio book. And it's something that's totally different from anything that I'm researching. It's it's a paranormal kind of thing, just to kind of yeah. Every everybody needs breaks from yeah. fr from their work, I guess. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but you you mentioned your second novel, though. Um, can I ask, like, what uh, what it's about, or can you give us a little premise? 
Yeah, sure. Um, I have been getting a lot of requests about what happens later to Yuriko at the end of the book. And I hadn't intended to do anything like a sequel because I thought it kind of ended, but I didn't realize how interested they would be. So what I've started doing is it takes place a couple of years later and it deals with the occupation. Um, she had, was in Tokyo at that time and she had a lot of what we call now PTSD, but they didn't know what that was back then. And she had a lot of things that she was trying to deal with and it was very difficult for her between the guilt of surviving and uh, worrying about getting sick and uh, wondering why she was still there. And so I've been trying to work that in. So I've been doing a lot of research on the day-to-day with the occupation. And unfortunately, I, I have from what my mother has told me in the past, but it's definitely going to have to be a lot more fiction because I can't verify things with her now. Right. Um, but uh, I, I'm excited about that. And it was very touching to me when people started wanting to know more. And when I got my first email from a student who had read the book and they told me how they didn't know much about it. And now that they understand and that my main character, Yuriko, really inspired them with her strength. And it just touches my heart because I think, you know, it was based on my mom and and hearing from a reader. And when they say I had one say this to me, you know, I didn't like to read. And then I was assigned your book. And now I love to read. I want to read more. Not necessarily just my oh, stuff. That's, but That's so sweet. <laughs> oh, I mean, that that to me made all the writer's block, all the hours, all the edits, many, many edits, all worthwhile in the end. It all it takes is one good <laughs> book for um, any non, quote unquote, non-reader yeah. to turn into a reader. Well, congratulations on the success of your debut novel. And we're actually, yeah, we're looking forward to what comes next. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you enjoyed reading The Last Cherry Blossom. And I'm so grateful that you wanted me to come on your podcast to discuss it a little bit more. Thank you. Yeah, well, hopefully we've um, turned some more people onto the the book. And this is a very important story because, especially in today's world, it's important to be able to build that empathy um, and yeah, not, not see things now. as like, <laughs> like yes. one side yes. or another side because, you know, there's always another side. That's true. And, and, and I'm, I, I'm hoping that that's how they can start looking at things as they're getting older. And, you know, my mom always said too, she never let me talk about it before that she was from Hiroshima, even in school. She said, don't talk, don't mention anything. And so when she finally said that I could, it was because that the kids in that class in seventh grade would be about her age. And she mm-hmm. thought they could relate to it. And maybe then they would know they're going to be voters someday and they could vote against having nuclear weapons. And it's a scary time with what's happening right now. And I don't have an answer for that. But I also know that nuclear weapons are so much stronger today than what they were in 1945. Yeah. And we're not the only ones that have them anymore. And even if it's far away, it's not like, okay, well, it's in Hiroshima, it's not going to affect us because it would. And the, the amount of smoke, I, I was reading somewhere that if like say India and Pakistan, they used a nuclear weapon against each other and it would be just the same amount that was in Hiroshima. There would be so much smoke that would enter the stratosphere that it would block seven to 10% of the earth's sunlight. Yeah. And that's 8,000 miles away from the U S and it would still affect us here. North Korea is only a little over 6,000 miles away. 
in the U.S. So it's it's affecting too many people. And I think now that they know the horror of what it actually does, <laughs> I don't have an answer. I'm not a it, it is. Yeah, it is. It is a very like. It's, yeah, it's it's bleak. a. <laughs> it's encouraging to know that there are people like you trying to tell these stories and to create a more you know a, a more unified world. Really, and, and it's really more, encouraging yeah, to like. And, to have books that are meant for younger readers because, you know, it is a very scary concept to think about. But, yeah. but you know, if you put it into words that they can understand, then, like, they might be able to, I don't know, uh, empathize more. And yeah. um, last month was the 72nd anniversary of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. And, um, yeah, there were... Like I, I read like a couple of articles about, about like the memorial service and um, yeah. yeah, it's something that still affects Japan greatly to yeah. this day and yeah. it affects uh, people around the world to this day. I, and I think that it's important, you know, even with everything going on, they still met at the United Nations in July and they signed that they wanted to do the, the, um, the nuclear ban and Granted, you know, the, the two main countries that have most of the nuclear weapons, uh, the U.S. and Russia, they, they weren't there and they probably won't sign it. And, and surprisingly, and I think disappointingly to a lot of the Habaksha that were there uh, who were survivors is that Japan wasn't there either. But I know that Japan is working on something different for that. And because they're under the nuclear umbrella of the U.S., that's probably why they didn't go. But I think it's a start. I think, you know, every journey, they say, starts with the first step. And, and, and although it kind of seems like it might never come together, but at least it's there. And there's other countries being more aware of it now. And um, I'm hoping that eventually that could mean something. And, and I think my mother would have been very, very happy that something like this was passed. Um, and it just it makes me hope because for the future, I have a daughter and I just hope that, you know, in her lifetime, she could see that there'll be you know, no more nuclear weapons, no more Hiroshima's, no more Nagasaki's. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us to talk about your book. Yeah. Anything, anything you want to? Um, no, I think I think we <laughs> talked a lot in, <laughs> in this episode. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm really thank grateful for uh, our discussion today. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Kathleen. And um, yeah, um, you guys can check out The Last Cherry Blossom, available at booksellers everywhere. Thank you so much. Um, is there any place where our um, listeners can find you, Kathleen, such as oh, Twitter yes. or? Absolutely. Uh, my website is www.kathleenberkinshaw.com. And there's a lot of information there about the book or for teachers. I have a discussion guide. Uh, and also for visits or Skype visits that I can do with a class. Um, there's also um, on Twitter, I'm at, uh, at KL Birkinshaw one. And so that would be great if people want to reach me that way. There's also a contact form on my website. So if somebody has any questions or wants to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from readers. So awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And that was our interview with Kathleen Birkinshaw, the author of The Last Cherry Blossom. Um, hope you enjoyed what we talked about. Um, Rira, any, any thoughts? Well, I had, I thought it was a very good discussion and I hope that people enjoyed listening to it. Maybe learn some new things. 
yeah one or two new things and if you have any thoughts about the book or or about our interview um please sound off in our goodreads forums we always love hearing from you and there's been a lot more action lately which makes me really really happy um um, you can find us on goodreads.com if you search books and boba um, and a quick reminder that our September book pick is Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong. Um, don't forget to pick up that book and read it um, on your own time because um, we'll be discussing it at the end of the month. But as we are a podcast, you can listen to us whenever you want. Again, please um, share your thoughts with us on the Goodreads forums um, for the September book pick. And um, we'll take your thoughts into consideration when we discuss it on the air. But on that note, um, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Books and Boba. Keep reading. This episode of Books and Boba was hosted by Marvin Yue and Reba Yu and edited by Marvin Yue. Follow Books and Boba on Goodreads, Twitter, and Facebook by searching Books and Boba. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices from the Asian American community. If you like Books and Boba, check out First of All, a new podcast hosted by Minji Chang, giving an unfiltered conversation on career, family, love, and modern culture. Check out First of All and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. 